Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Well, isn't this absolutely cool? You are on The Advertising Show, being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, which means we keep this stuff. And we put it in the closet and save it year after year or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, we are live today here with a very special guest. His name is John Durham. John uh, hails from San Francisco and is CEO, Managing General Partner at Catalyst SF. And uh, if you haven't been to the website, uh, go go there and check that stuff out. It's pretty cool. Uh, uh, John is involved in a lot of unique projects and works with lots and lots and lots of people in the ad biz. Brad, how the heck are you doing? You know, I'm doing fine. When you first introduced John, I thought you sounded a little bit like Jim Lang in the dating game. I thought you were going to say, and here they are. Well, we can always turn this into the dating game. I have no problem with that. Let me get the well, music. I don't know John that well, and we haven't done the pre-interview to know uh, how he uh, how he rolls. To the, so we're going to hold that. But you, he hails from San Francisco. Anyway, I'm doing fine. And what, what's wrong with that? That's a beautiful thing. That's great. It, it is. You know, how many years going on? Twelve years of doing the advertising show. We used to cover the Super Bowl regularly. Uh, and then it got old, and we decided let's let everybody else cover it, and we are doing something we haven't done in a long while, having John on, and we're doing a different version of it. We're going to do a post-game analysis, and you might think, well, I think it's all already been said about the Super Bowl, and I'm here to tell you it's not been said. Stay tuned. We're going to cover post-analysis with John Durham. And what a refreshing change of pace for the armchair quarterbacks who want to talk about this and learn about this as well. And there's certainly a lot uh, to talk about here as we uh, we uh, move through the Super Bowl. It was actually you know, I, saw, I saw the quarterback for the Ravens, Flacco, on uh, Letterman. I record that to stay on top of, uh, of what he's doing. And Flacco is not Mr. Personality. I think as long as he's uh, in the NFL, he's going to do fine, but yet he's not going to be on, you know, he's not going to be, I think, based on his personality, Ray, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy, but he's not going to be doing a lot of endorsements, I anticipate, unless it's just showing his face and, uh, you know, aligning himself with a brand, because he doesn't really have the typical Charisma. quarterback yeah, yeah, yeah. personality that you yeah, find. Yeah, kind of, kind of like the guy that was dating the fictitious girl. Uh, no, don't, no, let's let's take it easy on Teo. <laughs> God, what the heck? He's uh, an honest kid that just got taken advantage of. Okay, I think fine. so. Fine. I, I every time I hear that story, I just go, "What am I missing here? What am I missing?" Well, I'd like to hear you do your female voice. Hi, Teo. No, I, I th- I'm not competing with that. That was very wonderful, <laughs> and I am indeed in love. So, And I'm going to give your Facebook uh, link out here later in the show, so stay tuned for that. Well, that'll scare a bunch of little children. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's going on this week in your world? 
Well, you know, uh, no surprise to maybe you and I uh, working in the advertising business, but maybe to others that may be listening, uh, with chatter about, of course, CBS broadcast a Super Bowl fading now. News Corp's Fox has begun making early outreach to advertisers about next year's big game, as they call it, and they're out there pitching the game, uh, and they're also pitching already. Here it is only a week after the game. Right. Uh, their upcoming NASCAR broadcast, as well as uh, the tentatively named Fox Sports 1, which is a national sports channel Fox is considering uh, building from its speed cable outlet. Uh, but in these wide-range discussions, Ray, Fox executives have cited the New York setting for Super Bowl forty-eight as the really driver behind getting the word out now because they expect uh, big things from it being located in New York as opposed to other uh, venues, I suppose. And this is the interesting quote. Executives close to the situation say that Fox would be seeking to secure an increase in the price of Super Bowl ad inventory. And to that I say, well, yeah. You would think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, any two-for-one deals for next year? Uh, probably you not. Know, yeah. It's funny. When you were leading up to the Super Bowl, you were hearing quotes of 3.8 and $4 million. $4 million, I think, was probably just people rounding up or just taking it for face value. When you hear the real number, 3H, you think, well, Anheuser-Busch and other longtime Super Bowl advertisers are not paying 3.8, but... If it makes you feel better, you know, let's throw those numbers around. It is expensive. Yeah. And we'll talk to John Durham about the value of advertising in the Super Bowl, which I think is definitely there. But uh, if you got 3.8 to throw around, it's a great place to put there, your message. There's a gentleman who commented, uh, was here uh, at our studios earlier, was talking about uh, the fact that, yeah, that Clydesdale commercial, that you know, with the, with the, the guy getting his horse back was really good, but... You didn't know who it was until the very end. It was like, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, so this guy doesn't, he's obviously not a drinker or he doesn't watch the Super Bowl because anybody that I think sees a Clydesdale, I would think automatically. Would identify with Budweiser, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. You know, I lived in St. Louis for a few years in the radio business and I lived near that white picket uh, fence. No, uh, really? Yeah. How cool is that? I buy that occasionally, and uh, I won't tell you what I was doing on those back roads that were nearby, but used to drive by that, and it's, uh, yeah, I used to see those horses out there. I can pretty much figure out what you're doing out there, and does InBev now own that fence, I guess? Is that what it is? Let me, let me put it this way. <laughs> what I was doing out there, you can now get a medical prescription for. Very good. I'm proud no, of you. you. I'm proud of you. John Durham's coming to us. This weekend from San Francisco, among the first wave of marketers to grasp the potential of digital. Yay, John. John began to focus on exclusively on interactivity back in 95. 95, that was a long time ago. And since then, John has never looked back. Over the course of his career, he's held a a number of leadership positions in the industry, served as president of Windstar Interactive, uh, president of Pericles Consulting and EVP Business Development for Carrot Fusion, most recently, president of sales and marketing for Jumpstart Automotive Media as well. Uh, and uh, on and on and on. He is also uh, a, a teacher of marketing at the University of San Francisco since 1992. Guy's in the biz and he knows what's going on. We're going to talk to John here in just a moment or so on the advertising show. It's being powered by Shipple. 
Shipple.com, Tendency, an incredibly powerful marketing platform. Got to get one at least. Got to have one in the house, right? It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. Edna's crew take great care of the advertising show and have done so for many, many years. Jeremy Kent right now on the advertising show. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to London where the economy is beginning to look up. This is the European News Desk. This week, new rules on behavioural advertising, Burger King apologises for horse meat and ITV launches a free planning tool. The UK's Advertising Standards Authority has introduced new rules to provide the public with notice of and control over online behavioural advertising. The new rules require networks delivering behaviourally targeted ads to make clear that they're doing so and it's thought most will comply by displaying an icon in the corner of online ads. The ASA says that advertisers must allow consumers to exercise control over the ads they receive by providing an opt-out tool. If the consumer opts out and still receives behavioural advertising, the ASA will take action to enforce the regulations. Guy Parker, the chief executive of the ASA, said the new rules will provide greater awareness of and control over OBA, demystifying how advertisers deliver more relevant ads to us and allowing those of us who object to say stop. Over the past few weeks, the UK and Ireland have seen one supermarket after another confess to horsemeat contamination in some of their beef burgers. The origin of the contamination has been traced back to an Irish supplier. While horsemeat consumption is not illegal on mainland Europe, it is in the UK and to find it in beef products compounds the issue. Now, Burger King has apologised to its customers because traces of horse DNA have been found in samples taken at its Irish supplier. The fast food giant has insisted that the product was never sold in its restaurants but took out full-page newspaper ads in the UK. Burger King said, We apologise to our guests who trust us to source only the highest quality 100% beef burgers. Our supplier has failed us and in turn we have failed you. The apology marked a U-turn by BK that had previously given an absolute assurance its food was untainted. Finally, ITV, the UK's largest commercial television network, has launched ITV Lives, a free planning tool that allows agencies and advertisers to draw on the broadcaster's biggest ever audience insight project. The research has examined how viewing habits affect TV buying audiences and divided TV viewers into four main groups. Social lives, connected lives, busy lives and traditional lives. Planners and buyers can use ITV Live's online tool to see what proportion of the main TV buying audiences live each of the four types of lives, what their key brand drivers are and how they like to interact with advertising. The research also found similarities and differences. For instance, brands are important to all groups of people even if their brand decision-making process differs and all groups of people use social media but in very different ways. This is Jeremy Kent at the European News Desk for The Advertising Show. Jeremy Kent, thank you so very much, as always, for your update from across the pond. The problem that I see here, Brad, is that uh, uh, didn't we put Burger King uh, burgers in our virtual green room for John? And I think this may be a problem or an issue on down the road. What do you think? Well, but they're not imported. They're domestic, so we're good. Oh, thank God. Okay. Well, that's very good. we got some Budweiser there as, as well with a couple of Clydesdales. Kind of gets a new line to have it your way, right? <laughs> New meaning to I, if I knew how to winnie, I would do that. John yeah. Durham is our special guest here on the Advertising Show this weekend. John is CEO and Managing General Partner, Catalyst SF. And John, what a pleasure it is to have you stop by today. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for inviting me. 
You know, we got a lot to cover with the Super Bowl. And before we do that, John, I want to take advantage of, uh, as Ray was reading your bio, your huge background as an industry participant in the digital world in San Francisco and certainly your academic background as adjunct professor at SFU. But uh, so let's do that. Uh, You know, I think a lot of people, when they think of the Bay Area, certainly Silicon Valley, they think about the... uh, the how, how digital really started in uh, San Francisco, and yet I, we all know Google opened offices in New York several years ago, uh, and I understand that there's been a, uh, I guess, a positioning, a branding, if you will, that has been embraced by the industry there in San Francisco, and a decision to become known as the digital mecca of advertising and marketing and branding, et cetera, for the United States. And embrace, by embracing that, you really have created your own brand identity for your that segment of your industry. Uh, and just talk a little bit about that, if you would. Well, I mean, please. I think, you know, you just had Jeremy on coming from London, and it's very obvious that London and New York have always been, you know, the centers of global advertising and marketing. And people look at New York as like what's happening in trends, production, thought, you know, where the business is going, how how brands utilize media and their messaging to, to really move forward. Bay Area wanted to sort of play in a very big, big way. And, and I think where they've really, uh, where we've ended up is we are the home of, you know, digital innovation. A lot of brands are opening uh think centers here so they can take advantage of what some startups are doing and how can startups help brands tell their stories better. So, we, you know, you can't be all things to all people. I think only New York is probably the only place in the country that can do that, and rightfully so. So I think for us, we've decided to say we're going to own digital innovation. We're going to make sure that we are the place where brands can come to for new ideas. Look how startups Google, Google, Yahoo, uh, Pinterest, Facebook, all the players, you know, the, while they're based here, you know, they, they definitely have to have their, uh, their business acumen in New York, but, the, but their soul of, of how they think and innovative is definitely here, definitely here in San Francisco. Yeah, I think that's wise that you guys uh, decided upon that because I think you had a lot of that going for you many years ago. And, I think it's better to own a niche, uh, especially certainly something like digital, which is always evolving and becoming more of a uh, market share of media health, uh, media effort out there for branding and advertising. Let's bridge a couple of these areas, both uh, your area of expertise and what we have promised to talk about, and that's the Super Bowl. Uh, before we get into your choices for this year's best and worst of Super Bowl spots, I'd like to get your thoughts, John, on which spots garnered the greatest attention leading up to the Super Bowl. And I guess you can't talk about that without talking about engagement, social media, uh, YouTube, et cetera. Chat a little bit about that for us. It seems like every brand today is developing, and rightfully so, leading up to this big to this big environment, you know, the big game in the store, everything is you know, what can they do to, to garner excitement ahead of time, put the ads out there. Let people talk about them. Try to build some visibility. I thought one of the more interesting ones probably didn't get heralded a lot, but I thought it was pretty interesting was Wheat Thins. Uh, Wheat Thins took out ads in newspapers and said, you know, tweet to uh, tweet to to this. I must have Wheat Thins. Uh, they use Twitter. They use a newspaper, 
and then if you tweeted and were in certain zip codes, they delivered 12 boxes of wheat thins to you. And then, and all of a sudden, you know, they sort of they brought it in from the store, they brought it in from print, they brought it in from digital. I think all the car companies showcased their commercials uh, in advance, got a lot of buzz. It definitely drove some traffic in some of this, uh, particularly in Mercedes because of Kate Upton uh, and a couple of a couple of other manufacturers. It got some buzz. I think everybody today realizes that Sunday is the. Why well, maybe the day of panache? If they're really smart, they're starting doing a lot of stuff on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Still, you know, still the big screen party, though. It's still about the big day on Sunday, and well, as long as you're thinking about how to take advantage of that, that's number one. Before we talk about specific spots, and Kate Upton will be one of those uh, because it was controversial. You know, there was a time, John, I know you know this because we're all old enough to, to remember that when the Super Bowl spots aired, it was an unveiling, a big event for the advertiser, a viewing that actually people looked forward to uh, because you didn't have all this pregame buzz uh, through social media and the releasing ahead, you know, on YouTube, Twitter, etc., not to mention press releases to traditional media, which I guess began to evolve and you got a little tease here and there years ago on traditional media, but there was a time when advertisers actually would keep their spots under wrap until the Super Bowl. Uh, and here's my question. Does any of this previewing take away from an advertiser's spot once it eventually airs on Super Bowl? Now, even though you're getting your 20 million additional viewers, and I'm just throwing that out as a figure, does a viewer not pay as close attention because the spot's already lost its curiosity component you know it's a very it's a fascinating question one that academics are looking at because i know that a couple of professors are doing some studies of the mean joe green spot and the apple spot when they came out the 1984 spot when that was people did hold it and you know think about mean joe green unveiled on super bowl my gosh coke was able to ride that for many years you know they and anheuser-busch would keep their spots very quiet and it had that not only the buzz on a Sunday, but it had the residual effect of people talking about it on Monday and Tuesday, and then they could see sales. In this world now where you have so many people coming at you and you have so many screens, uh, you know, you can look at it on your on a 9-inch screen, a 70-inch screen, a 50-inch screen, a phone. You know, advertisers realize that, you know, with these more choices that, they just got to make sure that they're getting out there pre, pre, during, and post more so than they ever have been. Mm. Is it effective? You know, I think the jury's still out. I think we'll probably have a better handle in a couple of years, and I'm sure that it, some advertisers got some bad, you know, some bad pre-press, and they they might reevaluate it. Some advertisers tease like Amy Poehler for Best Buy and then saved it till Sunday. Which I actually thought was one of the better, one of, just truly one of the better ads that I saw because it it was a story and got people engaged. Um, so I think it's a great question, but I think with so many opportunities to be able to look at the messaging and where that advertisers just can't take the chance of depending at all being on Sunday now. It's almost like taking Christmas away in a way, uh, you know. Here's what you're going to get for Christmas, and by the way, here's what you're going to get for Christmas. No longer is Christmas morning a surprise. Well, you know, historically in our business, it's been the it's been the triumvirate. It's been Super Bowl, Grammys, and Oscars, 
And, you know, the hut levels are always high during that because of, of weather, and, and advertisers know that people turn that television on and, and they would have mass audience. You know, what is mass today? There was many people watching the guy Red Bull jump out as, as in some instances, as watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's, you know, where, where's the mass? And advertisers depend on mass. And Super Bowl is still the place to do it. But I think the real sophisticated ones realize it's the Wednesday before to probably five days later that they have a great opportunity to really impact their brand through television, through social media, uh, et cetera. Uh, San Francisco this weekend, our special guest is John Durham, who is CEO and Managing General Partner at Catalyst SF, and we are talking Super Bowl and a whole lot more here as we continue on The Advertising Show. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. When you say but Hey, it's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and it is so good that you stopped by today because we're talking to one kind of neat guy here. He's the CEO, Managing General Partner at Catalyst FS. John Durham is his name. And if you heard the first segment, we're talking uh, Super Bowl and a, a bunch of other things, some of the background of advertising in San Francisco. John, it's a pleasure to have you here. I, I wanted to uh, quickly say how how smart I thought it was. I mean, who's going to predict a blackout? And yet you have advertisers immediately uh, able to take advantage of this thing on a digital platform. I think that's absolute genius. And whoever they work with, they need to sign a long-term contract. That was a pretty good deal. I think all, I think the agencies, particularly for Oriole and Tide, that took advantage of that and Audi uh, ought, to, ought to be congratulated because you're right. They took advantage of a situation, one that was just bizarre by its sheer nature, yeah. And the time, and they just got people smiling and did something, and the, the activity on it was good. Yeah, absolutely right. And you know, the flip side of that, uh, I immediately thought of traditional uh, Super Bowl advertisers that were, if I were one or if I were the agency, I'd be extremely pissed off that my viewership was no longer engaged in the game but engaged in a blackout, and yet my spots were scheduled to air. And I, from what I could tell, John, I don't have a media expert out of New York to confirm this, but my guess is is that you know the network continued to air scheduled spots, and if my spots fell within the blackout time, I know that the vast majority of viewers are drinking and around the chips and dip, and they're not as engaged in the game as they once were. What's your reaction to that? I think that's a very good point. I actually think uh, I, I anecdotally had heard that you know they didn't lose the uh, hut levels stayed consistent. Uh, I actually think it was smart of CBS not to run ads during that period because it, you know they didn't really know what was going on, and the worst thing to happen would be the, the this you know ads happening they're certainly going back to a game, and then an advertiser gets cut off and at three point eight four million dollars that's not going to be a not going to be a happy camper. I personally well, thought CBS made a smart move when they came on. It looks like, all, according to the list of ads and the way it was going to be, everything ran at time. Some of the best stuff actually happened in the fourth quarter, and the game came back, and it became a game. And obviously, as a 49er fan, uh, that, that after the blackout was very exciting. 
Well, a small point, but a point that I think needs to be made since you brought it up. Hut levels are from Nielsen uh, metered family viewing, and uh, nobody ever suggested that the TV would be turned off during the blackout, so hut levels would have remained uh, what they were leading up to it. I just think in this case we got to apply logic to what was probably happening in front of the screen when all that was taking place. And again, if I'm a media director and I have a client that's airing within that blackout, I'm a little pissed off, but yet CBS could claim hut levels. But again, we're talking about engagement here. But let's talk a little bit for a moment about uh, some historical perspective on the Super Bowl and spots. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Ray and I were talking about how we've been covering uh, the Super Bowl for uh, since the launch of the show 11 years ago. And it wasn't so long ago that uh, Super Bowl advertisers, for whatever reason, thought that they got so much exposure on the Super Bowl that it was a one-time spot airing for the majority, if not all, of the Super Bowl advertisers. A few years ago, Madison Avenue woke up to the fact that you know, Super Bowl spots had some shelf life and they didn't need to pull the spot up on airing it at the Super Bowl. I want to go back to your point about, uh, you know, last last segment you were talking about uh, a lot of uh, speculation on effectiveness of t- Super Bowl advertising and so forth. Is m- the marketing test tube called the Super Bowl? I mean, you know, it seems like it's lacking in a lot of hard-nosed research when you have some advertisers that are taking their entire ad budget and they're committing it to a one-spot run on the Super Bowl. You have these changes that take place just over the past 10 years and how they air the spots. Is it a one-time airing? Do they follow on and air it after the Super Bowl? And now we have some advertisers unveiling leading up to the advertisers uh, to the uh, Super Bowl and other advertisers that truly do hold their spot for airing on the Super Bowl and forego the uh, social media pre-game exposure. Is it really, I mean, it, it seems strange to you as it does to us in that the Super Bowl is something that costs a lot of money. Uh, a lot of production goes into these spots that, that ha- are uh, aired on the Super Bowl. And yet, it seems that there's a lot of shooting from the hip and a, not a lot of hard-nosed research that goes into how to execute your creative. I think that's a great question. I mean, I, the first ad that came to mind when you talked about once a year was Master Lock. They only advertised yeah. one television you know, spot a year on a national basis, and it was always in the Super Bowl. It was always a talked-about spot because mm-hmm. they, you know, they just sort of knew this was a chance to get a mass audience. You know, mass is... In, uh, has has eroded over the years. It's hard to reach that. So, you know, the idea of scatter, in a way, it's sort of hard to believe the Super Bowl was a scatter buy, but it's, it's, a, it's a chance for advertisers to get a larger audience than normal. It's a chance to try some multimedia. It's a chance for the, younger, for the younger viewer to get exposed to turning that television device on and making that television experience big around an event. Um, I think the car companies this year, with the, for the first time, truly had some really good advertising because they got people engaged. And all the, all the plates, I thought, did a great job or, or a better job of getting the story out there and really using the Super Bowl as a way to start getting people excited about buying cars in 2013. There was some flack initially about the, uh, 
about the Volkswagen spot as being possibly not uh, proper or not, you know, something. And I, I never thought that. What, what was your take on the Volkswagen? I thought it was a great spot. I'm looking for that lasso who said that that ad was, you know, offensive. That ad, I mean, the party that I had, people really liked it. My, my students talked about it the other night that they thought it was a great ad. They thought it was fun, got people in a good mood. It got people talking about the brand. Uh, I, I think sometimes we look too hard to find things that are wrong. I think it was an ad that Volkswagen was just saying, be happy, buy a Volkswagen. We're yeah. glad to be in business, and we like what we do. Yeah, I agree with your thinking. However, I think the backlash, and you know, for whatever it's worth, we live in such a polarized political society these days and i'm not happy about it i know most people aren't thank you uh united states congress but uh i think some people were saying that volkswagen co-opted uh you know the oh, patriotism angle and yet and there was some backlash about that hey if you're smart enough to do that and your volkswagen uh, good for you is what i think as we wrap up this uh segment john let's go ahead and get your top five super bowl commercial choices who are they what is it about each spot that you like and just kind of take us through it top my, five my top choice had to be tied i thought here <laughs> is just a boringly basic product that everybody has to buy and i thought the montana tied spot was really good really effective used both teams got the audience it got people, it just made sense. And it's like, I, I thought it was very good, uh, very effective. I, I like the Budweiser. I don't think you can ever go wrong with the Clyde. You know, the old adage, you, you know, put animals in a baby and you're always going to be safe. <laughs> Clydesdales is, you know, historically, it, it's always been a prominent part of the Super Bowl. The story was good. Here's a horse coming down. I couldn't figure out which street it was in Chicago, but I thought, boy, that had to have been fun filming that. And it was just a feel-good. It made you feel very good. I like Best Buy. I thought Amy Poehler, who I imagine would be filming that commercial, had to have had fun. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't know what the cloud is. They don't know how to hook up a DVR. They don't know what is a smartphone or what a phones are. And here she's just asking tons of questions. The Best Buy guys like, doesn't have time to answer and i thought for a retailer you know trying to look for something a little bit different i thought it was pretty effective um and i thought she really did well i like audi i thought audi and mercedes did a great job uh audi i thought the prom i thought it was a good story i thought mercedes uh was very effective driving the impact that they can be they can play in the mid-value price range the voice of Oprah, the voice of God. You can't go wrong with that. That was touching. <laughs> I, I like the farm ad because I wondered where it was going. I'm just wondering how did they pay four times the rate for two minutes. Uh, I thought it was very effective. Wow. And I thought the NFL spot uh, about the players thanking the fans by doing chores was pretty damn good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I want to just comment, Ray, I know you're a huge fan, as I am, of Paul Harvey. I think he's without doubt 
the <laughs> the best premier, communicator in the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the premier voice on radio, uh, the dramatic use of the pause. I mean, the guy's delivery yeah. uh, was just uh, you know perfect when it came to radio. And I'm considering all previous radio announcers back even when radio was the only medium around and yeah two minute spot i agree but just kind of like the same way john you sit and watch a tele a, a, a movie and you say my god that was three hours i thought the same thing with the farmer spot yeah it was a long spot but a it didn't seem like a two minute spot it was engaging and it kept you there and hats off to the advertiser that allowed their agency to hold the sponsor of that ad till the last three four seconds you know a lot of advertisers wouldn't let their agency do that no we got to get it up front we need to get it in earlier right right go ahead john you had something to say there. the party that i was everybody stopped and listened number one you're right it is the voice of god when paul harvey talked people in the room just stopped and everybody was mesmerized by the screen at the very end it took took a moment everybody catch their breath and say wow yeah. And that's what it was. Wow. wow. It made you feel good. This is fun stuff today, talking about uh, Super Bowl and many other things with our, our guest and friend John Durham out of San Francisco, CEO and Managing General Partner at Catalyst SF. Uh, and uh, we are uh, going to come back here in just a moment to continue the conversation with Rachel and Brad Forsyth. So glad you're listening. It is indeed the advertising show, and it's so great that you have a place right here to listen to our friend John Durham talk about Super Bowl and a whole bunch more along with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. John is CEO and Managing General Partner at Catalyst FS, or SF, I should say, FS. Uh, it should be um, <laughs> it should be the right way to say it, right? John, it's good to have you here on the advertising show. Thank you very much. You know, uh, Ray, you and I used to go to a lot of Super Bowl parties. I get get invited every year. I got tired of recording the Super Bowl and then having to go home after the party and review the spots and to be able to talk about them on the show. Right. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. So it's just me and my wife that sit there and watch the uh, Super Bowl, and we get to, like, see it once and get all that we need to get, both content and commercials. I looked over at her during the Clydesdale uh, Budweiser spot, and and my wife was uh, definitely emoting and having an emotional moment. Now she's uh. a animal lover, but I also know that that's my, uh, you know, that's my uh, little focus group of one that really told me that 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 spot really hit it out of the park. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk enough about that. Let's go yeah. ahead and talk about your worst top five, John, uh, Super Bowl spots for 2013. To me, the worst advertiser, worst money spent was Century 21. I mean, uh, taking situations that, you know, bordered on, on uh, things, I just thought, you know, wow, uh, someone gets hurt, someone's happening oh is there a century 21 agent i don't think is the first five thousand things that people think was it memorable i don't know i didn't think it was that effective and i thought boy i'd love to have read the brief on that one what client approved that and i'm sure they probably had a second guess because they got trashed universally i mean people trash go daddy but you know for a five dollar product everybody that i've talked to sure could talk about the ads the next day and they sure had the they sure had the uh they know about they you know they know what they were trying to say and what they were trying to do and it definitely got people talking 
I thought that was I, I thought they were okay. I thought the Budweiser Black Crown and Budweiser never does a bad job of, of hitting. I thought the Black Crown and the Sapphire were just really bad, and I thought the worst sin in advertising. I thought they were boring. I just they they didn't do it for me. They didn't they didn't hit it at all. Um, and I thought the other one that was Jared, 15 years on the subway, you know, that, are they trying to introduce a new character? Are they trying to bring it in? I thought that was a little bit off. Here's a party that, here's a big day that people are drinking and eating, and Subway's trying to get you to think 15 years of celebration. I thought they missed the mark. Ah, interesting. You know, uh, I agree. I don't think, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, I really connected with the Hyundai what was titled Passing Obstacles Spot, because it did have both humor, and I frankly related to getting around whoever it is in, in front of you from a either a safety point of view or, in many cases, it was humorous. But I think many drivers, anyone that has lived in a big city or lives in a big city, can relate to, hey, i got to get around this guy. I, this, is a, a, this is a safety issue. So I connected with that spot. I thought the car commercials this year, for the most part, were really very good. I thought Hyundai and Kia Challenge. I thought they used some very interesting music choices. Uh, I think Lincoln was probably the weakest in the deal. But I think for the most part, I think Mercedes, Audi, uh, Hyundai, Kia, uh, Cars.com, I thought they did a really good job. And normally car commercials, I mean, how many times can you see somebody along the Pebble Beach Highway and get real excited? But I thought this year they really got people excited. Sounds like you're giving uh, the Super Bowl pretty much a high score overall, then, huh, John? I gave it. Uh, I gave it for the most part good. Uh, you know, if I I'll play the academic. I gave it a B plus. Hmm. Um, I thought the commercials that were way off were just so way off. You know, I'm all about advertising that is noticed and people talk about. I thought the GoDaddy were boringly offensive. Uh, I thought the ones that were really bad were were just so boring and so bad, but the ones that were really good stood out. There were a lot in the middle, so that, for me it was a B plus. Wow, you know, uh, taking kind of a long view of this, uh, my f- takeaway from the Super Bowl spots from a creative standpoint is that there, albeit you know there were some great spots and they made me laugh and I stayed engaged with the with the spot throughout. I thought there was just a huge abundance of comedy-oriented, humorous-oriented commercial strategy being played out. And as a result, the Anheuser-Busch and a few other of the uh, more emotional angle to their, uh, to their approach, creative approach, tended to stand out even more so. And I'm wondering, John, if A, do you agree with that take, and B, if next year... Are we going to look at more piling on with the comedy storyline, or are people going to sit back and say, wait a minute, you know, we were one of many in there all doing the same thing. Let's see how funny we can be. Maybe it's actually better to take a different tack when you're in such an environment. Think about what Chrysler did. Last year they had Clint Eastwood. This year, you know, they had, uh, they had the two very great spots with both Jeep and Ram the voice of Oprah and the voice of Paul Harvey. And I think people are talking about them. I think they're resonating. I think, you know, humor is always safe. It's always good. It makes sense for certain products. I thought 
the uh, I think the idea of hitting the emotional heartstrings is is really good if played right and you tell a story. I thought the I mean again you know I don't want to beat the dead horse but the Paul Harvey spot told the story the Oprah spot for Jeep was a powerful story and they got something going. I think too much emotion will take away take away uh, uh, some of that impact. But the advertisers that really can do that will take advantage of it. Your opening comment where you were talking about that Fox is already getting ready for next year, a lot of activity already starting to take, you know, because advertisers this year saw how people were using social media, how they were using their phones, and so they're already starting to think about, hey, Fox is going to raise the rate. What are we going to do? How are we going to really make sure that we create a big effect? So I think a lot of people will will start working on their uh, messaging and, and how they're going to take advantage of it a lot earlier than usual. You know, I got one final question for you, but before we uh, throw that out to you, back to the humor and the serious spots and all of that. As we've talked here on the advertising show about celebrity endorsements, for example, I think the key in celebrity endorsements is making certain that the celebrity endorsing your brand has a relevance to your brand. And I think that when it comes to humor, that was my problem, John. I always look for humor, if it used properly, has relevance to the brand. And in many cases, as I came away from the Super Bowl, it was like I'm overwhelmed with humor and I'm trying to sort out (laughs) which humor was really connecting to the brand essence of the product or service and which was just trying to be funny because we want to engage the viewer and, you know, give them a laugh and then hopefully they'll remember our brand. Unfortunately, I think it's probably more of the latter than mm-hmm. I wish I could say that you could use humor effectively to make sure the relevance. You know, it's, you know, all celebrities are safe. Some celebrities did well Sunday. Some just, you know, didn't hit the mark. Bart, Gar- Go Daddy, look good. Then you mm-hmm. start reading all the social comments going on. It took 35 takes. People started making fun of it. It didn't work. Yeah. The actor in... Uh, uh, the Mercedes ad, you expected him to have that devilish feel and that trade feel. I thought that one was really very effective. Mm-hmm. I thought the Kate Upton thing made that good as well. I'm always leery about celebrities and humor as a rule don't tend to work because they, you know, you, you've got to be very careful. Mm-hmm. And yet I still think about some of the greatest spots in humor were the Miller Lite about how they used celebrities or, you know, the B-list celebrities and made it work very effectively because it was a product that that was relevant and funny. And, and I think we're missing some of that creativity. be nice to get it back, yeah. And one final point, and then we're moving on to our final question. Ray and I have talked about beer. We've even called our little segments, Welcome to the Beer Show. Because we like beer, but we we don't drink. You know, say if you walk into but a party, but not just no, any beer. Let's, Miller let's Light or Anheuser Busch or Coors, or Coors Bush. I mean Coors Light. Uh, our next question is: So what else you got? I'm not drinking beer. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, Anheuser Busch did hit it out of the park with the Clydesdale. But does anybody remember Black Crown and what that beer is about? And are we really motivated yeah. to go drink it? I don't think so. So anyway, that's our two cents. Uh, as technology changes, you are the ideal person, John, to ask this question. Uh, technology is changing, you know, by the minute. Uh, so perhaps I should ask you not. Where do you see the Super Bowl five years out? But how do you see 
Super Bowl ads being leveraged for their brands in the future relative to new technology platforms that may be under the radar right now or in early stage development that uh, could be benefiting by super with Super Bowl spots, say, two, three years down the road? Well, one that we didn't talk about, but one that I think is the, the portent of how that could play would be the Calvin Klein ad, which was targeted primarily for women. And a lot of women, as a rule, don't tend to get excited about the Super Bowl, but they, they enjoy the parties and the activities. And I think what's happening now is the Super Bowl is no longer about the football game. It is about the experience, and it has been. But now I believe the brands that are going to spend serious money are saying, look, we're spending four, four and a half million just for the time placement, another X for production. We've got to, you know, we've got to invest in, in social media. The blackout was just such a bizarre thing that you, you know, Oreo and uh, Oreo and a couple other companies, I think that's such a unique situation. You can't plan for that. But what you can plan for is a bit of the unexpected. How do you think about using all media? How do you think about using all the media and when? I don't think it's no longer going to be about Sunday. I think it's going to be about a two- to three-week period that people are going to figure out how to take advantage of in the United States in a very big way. And as I see it going, it's like this, for me, the Super Bowl is now an experience. I think we live in a world where uh, brands can't depend on this mono, turn the TV on and or turn the newspaper on or even turn a turn your phone on and your brand's going to do something. You have to bring life to your brand and you have to do something and you have to involve people in so many ways. And I think technology is going to do that. Twitter definitely works. Facebook works. There'll be a There'll be another play. Is it going to be Pinterest? Who knows? But there'll be somebody in 14 that'll have everybody talking, and somebody in 15. But as I think about the next five years, it's like build the experience. Think about it as a as a big experience in almost every way you can touch somebody, and you're going to win. What a great way to wrap up. And by the way, you brought life to this show as well, which is a wonderful thing, John. We appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> we've had a lot of fun. By the way, we've not mentioned, and we need to do that, CatalystSF.com is the website, and see what John and his team are doing, uh, not only in San Francisco, but uh, but around the world as well. John is the CEO, Managing General Partner at CatalystSF, CatalystSF.com. But again, John, thanks for being a part of the show today. Thank you. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. You can visit online at AdAge.com, The Advertising Show. A copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, and we will talk to you again very soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.